Well, good morning. That song, I wore my church boots today, so that worked out pretty good. Pastor Josh uh, is not here today, obviously, and so if you're expecting six foot four, you're not going to get it. And so, uh, my name is Alex Smith, and I work with the college and young adults here at Taylor's First Baptist Church, and uh, very thankful to be able to preach this morning in we were told at the beginning of the summer that several of us would be able to fill in, and so I've had my outfit laid out for about three weeks, ready for this. I'm just kidding. It's been four weeks. But anyway, um, so again, my name is Alex Smith, and uh, I, I work with college and young adults here, as I said, and um, you know, something really neat, I say this every time I'm able to preach, is that I'm a graduate of North Greenville University, that's where I met my wife, um, but something really special for me when I get to preach is that... Um, Hannah and I both were a part of the college ministry here while we were at North Greenville University. So it's kind of really special for me to have gone here uh, during my college years and then several moons later come back and be able to lead with college and young adults here. Now going on for five years. And so it's just been um, a, a great privilege of mine. So, well, this morning uh, we're going to be in the book of Zechariah. And my hope is that I don't teach you anything new, but that I just stay faithful to the text and preach the word of the Lord and make much of the name of Jesus Christ. And last week, Pastor Josh, uh, he preached on the book of Haggai, or Haggai, however you want to pronounce that. And we saw where, as he walked through this, uh, the book of Haggai, we saw where uh, God's people had been conquered by the Babylonians and then later on had been conquered by the Persians and the Persians sent them back home to go back to your place, build your temples, worship your gods. And uh, through that, we see them, God's people go back. And there was two main characters among several in that passage that we read last week. And does anybody remember one of the characters started with a J? Anybody remember? Joshua was one of them. And that's not Joshua in the battle of Jericho. It's a little bit different Joshua. So you had Joshua, who was the priest, and he had Zerubbabel. Remember, Pastor Josh had us all say that together last week. That's a fun, like, bubblegum, bubblicious, he said last week, right? Zerubbabel, and he was the governor. But if you're in South Carolina, it'd be the governor, right, of South Carolina. So we had Joshua, the priest, and Zerubbabel, who was the governor. And then you had the people of the Lord, and then you also had Haggai. And so it's just funny to me with those two how God does things in his timing and his timing alone. Have you noticed that so far in your life? And so with Joshua and Zerubbabel, he was a high priest with no temple, right? And Zerubbabel was a governor with no people, really a country yet. They were going back to establish these things. And God had sent them back on purpose, on mission, for his glory alone in his timing. And one thing we saw in chapter 2, verse 9, that we read in Haggai last week, that sets the stage for where we're going to be at today is something very powerful. And in that, the scripture says to Zerubbabel to be strong. And to Joshua to be strong, and to the people of the Lord to be strong, for I am with you. So that idea of strength, of knowing that this not under your power or your might that this is going to happen, but through you, I'm going to work by my spirit. And that will preach by itself, and that's something that should encourage us today. But it also should be something for us to take heart and to say, okay, Lord, how am I not seeking you as my strength today? And as we see that strength is going to pair very well with Zechariah in our text today. Zechariah was prophesied the same time as Haggai. And this is something that we're, we are reading and learning about the exiles, the summer and the minor prophets. But now we're in the post-exile stage here, the post-exilic peace. And Zechariah has, is comprised of eight visions, two sermons, and two oracles. 
And as in Haggai, we're going to see again today, and take note of this, maybe make a little tick mark if you're one to write in your Bible, uh, where we see the phrasing Lord of hosts several times over. We've seen that a lot throughout the Old Testament, especially in the Minor Prophets, but today we're going to read that again, and I'll come back to that meaning a little bit more on the Lord of hosts. Let's read in Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, is where we're going to focus in today. And like I like to do with our college students, if you got it, say got it. All right, six of us got it. Let's do it. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Edo, saying, the Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore, say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. Let's pray. Lord, we pray over your word. Father, we know that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. God, you are the author and perfecter of our lives. And today, Father, as we read this word, as we read other passages of scripture, Father, help us to have a soft heart to listen and to learn today from you. Father, speak through me. May these be your words and not my own. And God, would you be glorified in this room. Thank you, Father, for the worship we've already had. And God, the worship that we will also receive through studying your word. You are a good God, and we praise your name this morning. And Father, I do pray for anyone in the room that may be struggling this morning. God, whatever case that looks like, God, that you would meet them where they're at. Or God, we know you will meet us where we're at. But God, that our hearts would be open to hear from you or to be encouraged to know that you are a good God, as we sing about, a faithful God. And all that we can bring to your table, God, is praise. A hallelujah. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Zechariah is an often quoted and referenced book around the time of Easter, and specific to chapter 9. And until my time over the past couple weeks, uh, I've really fallen in love with this book, and it's really interesting. As I was listening to several pastors preach this, a lot of them preface that, you know, we don't really study Zechariah a whole lot, kind of like Amos or Haggai or others. Like, we don't, it's not our first place if someone wants to learn about Jesus Christ. Well, let me just flip to the Old Testament and Zechariah real quick and show you exactly how good God is. Now, can it be done? Absolutely. But until recently, reading this and studying for this, it's, this book has really just been a beautiful piece that just come to life. And for many of you, I've had some conversations with several where this summer has been very encouraging for you to read through the minor prophets, like we've studied in the past, Psalms and, and others. And it's just been fun to kind of just dust off these pages of the Bible and study them. And so for me, aside from chapter 9, studying uh, the visions and looking through chapter 1 and different areas all the way through the end, it's been encouraging, and I hope that this has been encouraging for you this summer. And through that, and what we just read in chapter 1, there's three truths that we can pull out of this. And this isn't like my main subject or main piece, but these are just three side notes, if you're taking notes this morning, of just three little pieces, just in those first six verses that I kind of just gathered from this. And these three truths, number one is God is faithful. Just through reading the lineage here and what we see what, what God has said, 
how he's going to finish this up and how he was faithful in verse 6, that God is faithful, number one. Number two, a heart turned from sin toward God receives his favor. As Caroline uh, prayed just a minute ago, we got to see where, Lord, would you posture our hearts this morning? A heart turned from sin and toward God receives his favor. So number one, God is faithful. That's, these are easy, right? These are something that we know, but do we take them to heart week in and week out? God is faithful. Number two, a heart turned from sin and toward God receives his favor. And then number three, this is a big one and very profound, God hates sin. That should go without saying, right? But often it's good for us to be reminded that God is adverse to sin. He doesn't, he doesn't like it. He can't, he can't be near it. He can't be with it, but yet he has saved us from it. So God hates sin. So number one, God is faithful. Number two, a heart turned from sin and toward God receives his favor. And number three, God hates sin. Those are just extras. You know when you go to the buffet line and you just add a little extra mac and cheese on the side? That's just the extra. It's not the sermon, but as I was pulling from that, I was like, those are three truths that I think would preach, and so we're going to put them in there, Lord. As we see in verse 1, this is the, the emphasis of where I want to dive into to begin with, the lineage. Now, oftentimes when we read in the Old Testament, we have a lineage here that starts out a book, and this one is no different. We read just in verse 1, it says what? In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Edo. Okay, great. So we got dad and grandpa and son, great and grandson here. Is there any emphasis here? Well, I can tell you oftentimes I would read through scripture and I wouldn't take time just to, okay, well, what do those names even mean? I don't know about you, but I just named our children. I got to name all four of ours and I just, I, I like the names that they were, but Hannah wanted to make sure that they had meaning to their name. I was like, well, why? I mean, it's just kids, you know, like I just want to name them what I want to name them, right? And so... Anyway, luckily, all the names that I chose had great meanings, and I cannot tell you what each one of them means, if I'm being honest, but Hannah would be happy to, I can tell you their names, but I can't tell you what they mean. <laughs> Let me clear that up, make sure that's okay. What we have here is Zechariah, Berechiah, and Edo. And so something I just want to focus in on as I was reading through this and studying this, it's really neat. And many of you, some of you may know this, some of you may not. When you see I-A-H at the end of a name, that is referring to the Lord. So if you're taking notes, jot that down. I actually have it written in my Bible, I-A-H equals the Lord. So when you see this at the end of a name, there's going to be the Lord's presence or the Lord associated with this name. So Zechariah means the Lord remembers. I also wrote these three at the top in the heading. I don't know if you can see this in Zechariah. I just love this because it's a great reminder. The Lord remembers, that's his name. That's what his name means, Zechariah. The Lord remembers. What about dad? Well, Berechiah, the Lord blesses. The Lord remembers. The Lord blesses. And what's grandpa's name? Edo. In time is what it means. Now check this out. Before we've jumped into the whole 14 chapters of Zechariah, something that we see here is that the Lord, through his rich mercy, in a lineage, just in the names of his people, has already set the stage for what's going to happen throughout this book. What is it? Remember, this is post-exile. The Lord remembers, the Lord blesses in time. You see that? Isn't that cool how that works? Now, Pastor Josh said we could take one verse, a chapter, or a passage and preach on that. So that's my passage today and sermon. I hope you've had a great one. This has been good for me, right? I just want you to know, and some of you know this, but I want you to kind of just take heart this morning that God's word builds on God's word. 
And it's something that we can take to heart knowing that, man, God, you are a faithful God. You call us to be strong in you, as we learned in Haggai. And through that strength, we can remember, God, that you remember and that you bless in your time. It's something that encouraged me, and I hope that that encourages you, of that God is faithful throughout the Old Testament in good grace through John 3.16 in the New Testament. We see over and over again where God is faithful. He knows his people, and he calls us to him. But with that, there's more to the story, right? God is a faithful God. God is a gracious God. He does remember. He does bless in time. But we also see in this passage that God hates sin, and he requires a repentant heart. And so if we read in this passage in verse 2, the Lord was very angry with your fathers. This is a point of unrepentance on these people. Now, we know today that we are born into sin just as the people back long ago are born into sin. And we must have a repentant heart. The Lord is very careful to tell Zechariah, to tell the people to not be like their ancestors. I don't know what your father figure is like in this room, but for many of us, we want to be like our dads growing up, right? We want to model what he modeled. Sure, maybe it's not everything that he did, but there's pieces of our fathers that we want to model. And here, Zechariah is saying, don't be like your fathers. Don't be like your ancestors. Why not? Because they had an unrepentant heart, a heart that was bent towards sin. Now, as we read that, as we think about that, it's tough for us to realize, man, I can't imagine not doing that like dad or whatever. Sure, we get the idea we can be like dad in some ways, but how are you being like your heavenly father and posturing your heart towards him? Kindness, through love, through being faithful, in different areas that we read in scripture that we're to be like Christ. Here's Zechariah telling them, don't be like your ancestors. They had unrepentant hearts. And we know that we are born into sin, and salvation is nothing we can fake or purchase. We saw that in Pastor Josh's preaching earlier this year in Acts. Simon the sorcerer, right? He was walking in Acts 3 with the disciples. He saw they had something he didn't, but he was close to it. Walked with them for a while, and ultimately in Acts chapter 3, Peter calls him out and tells him that he has to repent from his wickedness because he's trying to be like them without having the holy fire that is within them. And then also, uh, excuse me, that's Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 3, we see Peter preaching again, repent therefore and turn back that your sin may be blotted out. This is not just a New Testament process here. This is an age-old piece where God hates sin, but he offers a way out. And throughout the Old Testament, through the minor prophets, we see God calling his people back, stop, turn from your ways, come back, come back home. You are part of the family. We can make this right. And it's not that we make it right. He makes it right. And through the New Testament, we see this again, repent of your sins. Understand that God is a God of salvation. He is a God of judgment, but he is a God of salvation. And this is nothing we can fake. This has to be real submission on our behalf to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We can't, well, you can fake it, but you can't buy your way into this. This is something where you have to come to grips with reality to realize there is an eternity at stake. All of us will spend eternity somewhere, either with the Father glorifying his name or a separated from Jesus Christ and God the Father in a place that is absent of him, in hell, an eternal damnation that we don't want to be a part of, not because of it's going to be hot or bad or whatever, but because it's away from Jesus. It's separated from Christ. 
and understanding. Here, even in the Old Testament, as Zacharias is saying this, and just from his lineage that God remembers, the Lord blesses in time, but know this, your ancestors did not do it right. Don't be like them. It's easy to mask this. It's easy to mask a repentant heart, to live the life a little bit, to go to church, to tithe, give sacrificially, to do different things. But at what point does it become real in your life? To be a real difference in your life. It's easy to drift in the wrong direction. And as we look in our lives and take account on what God has done in our lives, how has God been faithful in our life, but also how have we been unfaithful in different ways? It's easy for us to drift in ways that we don't want to go, to flirt with sin, if you will. And we see that throughout the Old Testament, how the, how the people of Israel, the, the God's people, flirted with sin and ended up being consumed in sin. And being from the south as someone who likes to drive through mud holes and mud puddles and everything else, you know muddy water never shows the depth of the puddle. And so as you drive into that, as you walk into that, kids splash into that and play into that, you never know really how deep it's going to be. I think it's just a, a little pothole, but it could be a deep one. Have you seen the ones that swallow cars whole and don't even look like it, right? Looks shallow. You can go scuba diving on that bad boy, right? Listen, sin is the same way. When we flirt with sin, we never know how far it's going to take us. I could throw some cliche quote in there, but I'm not going to. We understand that God's word is sovereign and he calls us to repentance in our daily lives, just as it did in the Old Testament. But we have this knowing that God, the Lord, remembers and he will bless in time. But it requires a repentant heart with that. As you see here in this passage, we see that the Lord was very angry and that is kind of doubled up in the original text, knowing that there's severity here and this is intense, that God is anger, anger, very angry. He's big mad on this one. And so as we see from his anger, we also see this title, Lord of hosts, with him. Take note of this. The Lord of hosts means something special. It emphasizes God's sovereignty, his power and authority over all creation including the angelic hosts and the armies of heaven. It signifies that God is supreme commander over all the angelic forces. And he can mobilize them for his purpose on his time. It conveys the idea that God is the God of majesty, strength, and ability to intervene in the affairs of the world when he sees fit. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and the God of angel armies. He is powerful. And this is a piece of compassion that Zechariah is using, God gave him, to use with the people. Because what have these people known for 70 some odd years now? Turmoil and heartbreak, war and corruption. And so often in these times, and even today, I guess you could say, those with the biggest armies usually have the biggest victories. That's not always the case. Samson's a different case here, right? But understanding in this passage, in this time, Right? Understanding that the military that is big, that is powerful, is often going to overtake in most situations, just realistically, what's going to happen. And so, what we see with the Lord here, that He is the, the God of angel armies, He is the Lord of hosts. He has more to conquer the small things and the large things. So, don't fret, don't fear. Understand that this is a comfort passage here that God is able, He calls us to repentance. He is able to save us from sin. 
With this repentance, we know, as Pastor Josh says many times, the gospel demands a response, a repentant heart. When we do things God's way, we receive God's result in God's timing. Write that down. When we do things God's way, we receive God's result in God's timing. So, question for you, in what ways are you trying to do things in your way with your desired result? And what is your timeline? That's something for me that I have to take into account just about every day. I have four kids. They wake up at 5 o'clock half the time. I'm like, Lord, my timeline is they'd go back to bed, right? No, it's daddy duty all the time. Let's go. But seriously, in what ways are you trying to do things in business, in relationships, with goals, ideas, dreams that are your ways for your result with your timetable? Can I invite you to invite the Lord in on that conversation? To have a repentant heart, not to not want to do things, to go after things, sure. The Lord designs us with creativity, with ambition, with drive to do things. He calls us to work in the New Testament. He says, go and be diligent with these things. We are called to do this, to be good stewards of this. But at what point are we trying to do this out of our own gain for our own result in our own timeline instead of inviting the Lord in to lead the way each and every way? That doesn't make it easy. In most cases, in my experience, it makes it more difficult having to let go and say, all right, Lord, it's your turn. I'm just going to sit and wait. But no, we don't sit and wait. We are proactive in the waiting, proactive in prayer, proactive with being in biblical community, proactive with seeking God from his word. The gospel demands a response, a repentant heart. When we do things God's way, we receive God's result in God's timing. I only have about two more hours left, and we're going to get through this, okay? So a minute ago, I mentioned that there were eight visions in Zechariah, and I want to transition here because I do want to do this text justice by at least highlighting some of these visions. So I'm going to, I'm going to buckle up pretty quick, and, and I'm a fast, fast speaker, and so hope you're ready. I don't have any water, so if I get called up in just a second, just give me a minute, I'll, I'll catch up, and then we'll keep going, okay? So what we see here in, in uh, the first vision, if you have your Bibles in chapter, chapter 1, we have a vision of the horsemen, and I don't know what your titles kind of have uh, in your text, but I'm not going to go in depth with each one of these. We're just going to kind of fly over these, okay? So we can debate these later, but I'm just going to go into them now. Chap, uh, chapter 1, the first vision we see is the vision of the horsemen. This is, shows God's jealousy for his people. These horsemen report that nations are at rest. And this seems great to us as a reader, but this is an unjust rest. God's mercy is for his people. And in verse 12, we see, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you have been angry these 70 years? And towards the end of that, we see where God is going to restore the second vision is of horns and craftsmen. These four horns, as scholars believe, are four nations that have scattered God's people. These craftsmen have come to smash them as punishment. Man, that sounds awesome, right? The vision number three, a man with a measuring line. He's measuring Jerusalem. This isn't some eight-figured head or wild-eyed creature. This is just a regular man with a regular measuring line, a plumb line for those carpenters that are out there. Man with a measuring line. The angel tells Zechariah that God will fill. This is, a, this is a promise again. He remembers and he blesses. God will fill Jerusalem. He will be their protection. His people are the apple of his eye, verse 8 says. In verse 9, it's his protection plan that will save them. What's his protection plan? In verse 9, it says that he will wave his hand. 
right? And in a day, it's going to be taken care of. Again, God's promise, because how? He is the Lord of hosts. He is in control and he is able. Verse 11, many nations shall join themselves to the Lord and that day shall be my, they shall be my people. Can I just tell you, this is encouraging for me because we are in that day to where we are a people that can be joined with the Lord through Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter two, verse nine. We are what? A chosen race. We get to see this be fulfilled today in our time, knowing that we get to be with the Lord today. Vision number four. This is a powerful one. Vision of Joshua standing before the Lord. Satan is standing with him, accusing Joshua. And Satan's name here is the accuser, right? He's a deceiver and an accuser. Not like somebody you work with, maybe, but this is, this is real here, right? Satan is standing with him, accusing and deceiving Joshua to the Lord. He, Joshua is standing here in this vision with filthy clothes on. And the text here uses some graphic language, really, just to describe what is on his clothes because it is disgusting. It is filthy. Worse than my three-year-old toddler who's been playing outside in the chicken pen and everything else all day, right? It's gross, He's standing before a holy God, unholy and unrighteous in what he is wearing. Satan is accusing him and attacking in this way. He's in filthy clothing. But here's the beauty. Satan is rebuked by the Lord, and the Lord says, Joshua is a stick that has been snatched out by the fire. The Lord removes his garments and takes away his iniquity in chapter 3, verse 4, like only the Lord can. Notice Joshua doesn't take anything off. This is the Lord doing this for him on his behalf. What do we have to bring to the table? Nothing but a hallelujah. You see how the gospel is intertwined through the Old Testament. How powerful is that? Continue on with that. The angel of the Lord, excuse me, uh, let me back up. Stick snatched from the fire. The Lord removes his garments and takes away his iniquity in chapter 3, verse 4, like only he can. And for what we see is the angel of the Lord assured Joshua in verse 6. Essentially, if you obey what I say, you will be part of what is ahead. He refers to the branch, a coming messenger. Remember Pastor Josh, he preached out of Isaiah one time about the branch, the shoot that's coming out. Isn't it cool how Scripture builds upon Scripture? His servant will be coming in verse 8. In Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5, says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous what branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land." Love that. Again, in verse 9, he says, In a single day he will remove the iniquity of the land, and every one of them will invite their neighbor, this is so sweet, to sit under his vine and fig tree. There's a place at the table, church. God is able. He is sovereign. and He desires a relationship with us. What did we learn from the beginning, just at the, at, in the lineage? That God remembers, the Lord remembers, and the Lord blesses in time. The fifth is the golden lampstand. This is kind of a wild picture and wild imagery here, but 
It's a lampstand or a menorah, if you will, with many different pieces to hold uh, candles and lamps here, but not just any regular lampstand. This one has an oil vessel like a reservoir on the top. It's keeping the lamp burning. There's two olive trees in this vision. And Zechariah's asking, what, is, what, is, what are the olive trees? Who are this? And the, and the angel of the Lord is like, do you not know this? And he's like, no, seriously, what, like, what is this? And so those represented Joshua, the high priest, and Zerubbabel, the governor, right? He tells him, Zerubbabel, that for this piece with the golden lamp, saying that the temple will be rebuilt through Zerubbabel, but not by his might or his standard, but by the Spirit of the Lord to continue through what you are doing, to finish what you started. The oil for the lamps has a source that is an endless supply as the Lord is our endless supply today. The sixth is flying scrolls that brings judgment to everyone that disobey God's laws. We see two laws are written on this scroll about the size of our modern-day billboards. Scripture says in verse 3, this is a curse to everyone in the land that steals and swears falsely. These are horizontal and vertical laws here that are written on just two laws, and they sum up just about all of the laws that they have. Don't uh, you know, don't sin against man and ultimately don't sin against the Lord of those that steal and swear falsely. Only in Christ do we find redemption from this. And if you look carefully, it does say in this passage with the flying scroll in chapter 5 that this is a curse. Chapter 5, verse 3, then he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole land. Well, can I just encourage you that with these flying scrolls, this may be a curse, but only in Christ do we find this redemption because he is a life giver and a curse breaker. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who was hanged on a tree. He became sin who knew no sin. Does that resonate with you this morning, church? He's a chain breaker. He's a life giver. He's the living water. He is the I am, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the I am, and he is in the business of repentant hearts. That should get you fired up, and if it doesn't, your wood is soaking wet. This is something that we know we can take heart in, that God is who he says he is from the Old Testament to the New Testament. He is our eternal fire, something that allows us to live with fresh eyes with a fresh heart, something that gets us excited to go to work each day, even though we may not like it, something to endure hard relationships, even though we may not choose it. Because of God, I will, right? It's on his power, in his power alone that we can do that. Because if not, then we're working on our things for our timeline, for our result. When we do things God's way, we get God's result in God's time. That's not always fun, but it's the way to do it. Why? Not because your dad said so or your grandpa lived it that way. It's because the word of the Lord calls us to righteousness. It's hard. It's tiring. But it's worth it. You see in, chapter, in, in the next vision, the seventh vision, and we're getting ready to be finished out here in about an hour and a half. Women in the basket here. This lady is in this basket, and, and this is a smaller basket. It's in an actual size lady, you know, crammed down in this circus basket. This is a lady representing basket here, and she's representing wickedness here. In this wickedness, she's carried away to Shinar, Babylon. If you've studied the Old Testament, some of you know Babylon represents sin in a lot of ways and wickedness. And she's carried away by two women 
with wings that of a stork, Scripture says, and she is taken to Babylon where, uh, you know, she, she's going to be put in, in this temple for her, this temple of, or this house, excuse me, of wickedness. And, and through from Genesis and Tower of Babel on, we see where wickedness, sinfulness, corruption, you name it, is tied into Babylon. And that's something I hope we don't ever seek to be part of. The eighth vision is a vision of four chariots and how God's power extends over all the earth and a righteous peace that finally dwells on the earth. And then the ninth kind of vision here, we kind of have a bonus vision. We read about a crown in chapter 6, verse 9. A crown of the temple that is fitted for Joshua, a priest. And it's funny because priests don't wear crowns. They wear turbans. And just check how God uses Scripture in a beautiful way to tell about what is coming. If you know Joshua and Jesus, is Yeshua is the same name. And we understand that Joshua is someone who gives a beautiful picture for the coming Christ because a crown will be fitted on his head, not a turban. And we see the word branch again in chapter 6, verse 12. And we see where they gather the idea of the priest and the king and the priest will sit on a throne. Isaiah Chapter 6, verse 1 says, In the year that the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Joshua is a picture of the coming Christ, and we know that God has a plan because he remembers in his time. We can take heart in this to know that God's word is truthful. He doesn't lie in his text. In chapter 7, if you were to flip through and, and look through that, we see where priests of old are coming and asking, should we fast the same way that we've done for the past 70 years? Have you ever done something just to do something for a long time? Boy, it gets old, doesn't it? You just do something out of repetition because just the way you've always done it. Maybe you have that one gas pump you always go to, the one way to work you always take, the one phone call you use every week, Right? Those are joyful things. Have you ever just done something out of monotony? Your heart's not in it? You just, all right, let's get this over with. Ultimately, the priests here were saying, do we fast like we've been fasting for some 70 years, chapter 7, verse 4 says. And what happens is these people had a hard heart. Chapter 7, if you're there in Zechariah, I'm going to go down to the bottom and read verse 11. Zechariah gives a word of the Lord, and, and he tells them, show kindness and mercy in verse 8, and, and don't oppress the widow or the fatherless or the sojourner or the poor. Or let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. And then verse 11, boy, this is a terrible place and sad spot to be in life. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. I don't know how many of you are dealing with toddlers in your life right now, but I'll be darned. When they do this right here, boy, man, I tell you what, it makes the belt just want to come off. You know, I'm telling you one more time, right? Listen here, it's not just that, because that's an outward expression of I'm not listening and I'm not paying attention. Look what Scripture says. Gosh, verse 12, they made their hearts diamond hard lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. I don't know if any of you have ever been in the construction industry, but concrete is often used, and concrete is a tough, tough thing to use in building. 
The only thing that we've used when I was using concrete a lot several years ago and rebuilding some stuff was a diamond tip saw blade that would cut concrete. And you make these lines and do what you need to do, then you backfill and cover it back up and keep going. You use that blade over and over again until it's finally dull. But as I was reading this and thinking through this and as I was preaching to the pews last night in the chapel compared to practice, I was just thinking of, God, how can your heart get that hard that is tougher than concrete, diamond hard scripture, something that's formed in the innermost parts of the earth that is prized for its hardness. The beautiful picture we see, though, remember, the Lord remembers and the Lord blesses in time. As this plays out in chapter 7, a beautiful story of redemption in chapter 8. We start seeing where God is blessing, and in chapter 8, verse 8, great restoration to God's people. It says in chapter 8, verse 8, I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and I love this. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. Love this. In faithfulness and in righteousness. Church, I don't know where your heart is postured this morning. I don't know if you're mad at God or mad with God. I don't know if you're celebrating with God or celebrating at God. I don't even know how that works. I don't know what your heart posture is, but we all have hurt. We all have struggles. We all have frustrations in our life. But can I just encourage you today, whatever you're going through, please never neglect the Lord as much to the point of having a diamond hard heart. Talk to God. What is, what is he in the scriptures to us? He's not just some God, heavenly figure. He is a father figure. He longs to talk with you and to you through his word, for his glory, in his time. He wants to spend it with you. Some of you are struggling with what to do next. Do you go overseas? Do you answer a call to ministry? Do you take this job? Do you move this place? Can I just say petition it to the Lord? Because when we try to do things on our own terms, we get our result. And often it may be fruitful for a season. It's not lasting. Others of you, you may not know this Lord I speak of. And therefore, I would ask you to just pray this morning. God, are you softening my heart? Are you real? If you are, show me a way. Well, can I just tell you, here's your sign. Hey, he's real and there's a way. That's your sign this morning. I'm going to ask the band to come up here as I'm going to say a few more closing statements. And I want you to understand that God is against sin, but he wants to see his name blessed in your life. If I can tell you this morning from the book of Zechariah, we didn't get into chapter 9 and the coming Messiah and either other pieces with that, but it's something I want to encourage you to know that as he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the great I am, he desires a personal relationship with you. And this isn't just a one-way street where God has a relationship with you. No, he requires you and wants you to be a part of the plan of what's going on in the conversation. Can I encourage you? Whatever you're struggling with this morning or whatever you're celebrating this morning, our college students, we've started on Sunday morning starting our roundtable discussions. What's something good God's done this week? How can you praise the Lord this week from something that's happened? Praise his name in the goods, in the low seasons, but stay faithful because he is going to be faithful to you. We'll have some people in the back. If you need to pray with somebody this morning or need to talk with somebody, 
I'd love to talk with you as well, and, and uh, we'll have counselors ready for you if you need to have that conversation or just need to nail down your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Or if you feel called to ministry or to missions or something like that, man, we would love to talk with you more about that and encourage you on your journey. Let me pray for us. Father, you are good, and we bless your name. God, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And God, you are the I am. We read from your word this morning, God, that you, Lord, remember. You, Lord, bless in time. Father, would we do things your way to receive your result for your glory in your time. God, you are good. Even though it's hard for us to see that sometimes, we know that distance is only perceived by us. You may feel far away, but God, you are close and you are ready. God, to your name be the glory. It's in Christ's name we pray.